You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. pretty early morning here in Flagstaff, Arizona. The big old fall moon is just setting in the west, as in the constellation Taurus. Beautiful Orion is just above the roof of our studio here, where we have our big antenna reaching up into the ionosphere. Oh, Venus is coming up. Oh, I don't know. I, I gotta go outside and look at all this stuff. When I'm out there up in the mountains, or in the forest, you're more aware of the constellations and the stars. Occasional flying saucers that come down. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to stay awake, as we're in the closing hours of our radio show. We decided to do an all-nighter. Oh, my 500th cup of coffee. (laughs) No, something like that. We've been talking about um, stuff like divination, necromancing. You know, when I was a kid, I used to think that <laughs> that meant you're making out with somebody. You know, <laughs> the neck romance. <laughs> oh, I think people define divination as looking into the future. Yeah, I don't know if it's really that. Um, Seems like every faith, every belief system, even science itself has, you know, like my grandpa used to uh, be a good card player. He was an uh, engineer uh, in southern Colorado in the San Luis Valley where it gets very cold. I think the elevation's over 8,000 feet there. He had this big, huge open valley with these two big mountain ranges, one's well over 14,000 feet, and it gets so cold there. And he was a prominent engineer, had his own business. Uh, And he was a pretty rational guy, very nice person. Um, I got to be around him a bit when I was younger. I wish he would have lived longer. Um, But he was a man that worked a lot with mathematics. He's the guy, I think I've talked about him before, he used to uh, like to do calculus for fun. (laughs) You know how you do. Crossword puzzles. <laughs> or you play a video game on your cell phone. Well, yeah. He would do calculus for fun. <laughs> and trigonometry. I'm not kidding you. But he was a cool guy. He had a lot of good stories. Um, 
He was uh, an expert uh, marksman, uh, won a lot of awards in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, Ski shooting, that's what he won a lot of awards. His whole uh, draftsman drafting table, his maps, um, his business. His, he had uh, an extensive gun collection. Um, most of that use, was used for uh, target shooting, just full of all kinds of trophies. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Anyway, he's a very rational guy, and he would use what he referred to as lady luck. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a mathematics of probability. Not only did he have pretty close to a photographic memory, and could he could read people's faces well. So in a poker game, he was able to jot down the math and figure out the probabilities of certain hands coming up. And so he won a lot of money. He didn't do that for a living. It was kind of fun for him, but he was successful at it. Yeah, so science has, and then, you know, we, we have um, mathematics that work in the quantum world. I mean, there's a lot of things you can't see. And when you're focused on your job or getting tasks done, the big wide open universe probably isn't the best thing to be thinking about. <laughs> There's just so much out there that we we don't really see. And and it, and when we open our minds to it, whether it's in mathematics or um, the art of divination, and, uh, there's just so much. I think when you start feeling so sure about everything, and if you're a materialist, a hardcore materialist, so, um, you, weigh, you weigh the evidence by what you can see physically. And as we know over time, there's a lot of things that we, we can't see. That You could just jot down the map, you know, like quantum um, for a long time, the atomic structure of things, I guess the Greeks even talked about it, um, was a probability that's never proven um, physically, material-wise, until long amounts of time had passed and the mathematicians come along, like Niels Bohr's and people like that, and begin to show that there was this smaller world of atoms and protons and neutrons, these little guys moving around really high rates of speed, and that there's these gaps of space in between uh, atomic particles. And somehow we don't, you know, we, we put our hand on a table or set in a chair and we don't fall through the spaces. And I realize they've kind of worked out why that is. But the point is, is there's just a lot of things that we don't see that are there. And, and I think there's a lot of things we don't know, even scientifically. And I think the ancients have known that for a, a, a long time. And I'm going to have another drink of coffee here. What are you doing? You should be asleep. Get to sleep. You should be listening to this radio show half conscious. It makes it better. <laughs>
been really cold here, um, especially at night. We're getting close to 10 above zero. I was just in Zuni, and they had a big at end of year, beginning of year um, celebration that's been going on thousands of years, and there was a it took a whole year to prepare for that. I have a lot of good friends at Zuni, and I enjoyed being there. It's kind of a, it's a three and a half, yeah, about a three and a half hour drive from Flagstaff to New Mexico. Most of that's done on the interstate, um, which is mostly <laughs> full of trucks these days. Um, there were a few cars and lots of trucks, or maybe there was all these big semis in between, and then the little cars would buzz around them. And I got tired of playing the game, you know, going too fast, you know, passing all the trucks. And I just got in between two trucks and drove, you know, the speed limit's 75 miles an hour. I drove 71, 72. Occasionally would pass a truck. And just, just said, but I, I wasn't going to be in the big speed game. Cranked on the, the music, um, AM radio, especially when it got towards evening. And then I got into uh, I got off the interstate uh, onto um, dirt roads and open roads, purposely, uh, and all, all the stars and the moon was coming up. Uh, the moon's at full right now. The, the, the beaver moon they call it. Don't ask me why. I guess the beavers beavers are probably in their warm lodges <laughs> with their family, you know, going underneath the icy pond and then back into these. They have these beautiful lodges that are. Um, really warm. Um, I, I, I think there's a, several documentaries that look at beaver lodges, and they're pretty comfy. Um, and they stay, they have a pretty constant temperature, even when it's like far below zero and the pond is, is frozen. They have these passageways that go up into their beautiful lodges, and they prepare all summer and autumn long to, um, to stay pretty much in their, their little lodges that they have. So the beaver moon, uh, like I said, the moon's in Taurus. It's just huge right now. It's setting in the west, kind of an orange glow, a clear sky. We're expecting a, a big storm, I think, here at the end of the weekend, up here at 7,000 feet in the top of Arizona. I have a, a close friend. She likes to say, uh, hi, Sophie. <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> um, she's from... Um, Columbia. She lives here. She's a school teacher, and we're good friends. We have a, a, a lot of a lot of fun, and uh, she likes to say that uh, Flagstaff is is really different from the rest of Arizona. I guess it is. Um, if you can get out of town, our, our little town's getting big now. We're getting growing pains. If you can get out of town, which is really one of the reasons to live in Flagstaff, because um, you just have this huge amount of wilderness that surrounds us. And so you can just get lost in that in a relatively short amount of time and, and cross these long, open deserts, go to places like Monument Valley, which is amazing. And you can drive off-road four, five, six hundred miles and, and never get on an asphalt highway. And, and a lot of times, as I say, not even see a car, which can be a little strange at night. And so it's good to have your AM, AM radio on. Uh, I do have a shortwave radio, a portable one in my car that I can hook up to my uh, to my AM radio. But I need to put some uh, a noise filter on it because it picks up the engine of the car. So a lot of times I'll stop and pull out the antenna and um, see what I can find. But mostly I just have the AM radio on and a lot of that stuff. Uh, 
at that time of night, you pick up a lot of stuff in Mexico because you know we're not far from the border here, and that's always a lot of fun. The music they play in the format, and I think things have gotten so professional that it could be、um, irritating, especially with digital reality now. You know, a lot of people listen to satellite. Is it even called satellite? And I guess it is satellite radio, huh? The Sirius system. That's kind of good and nice,、um, but I would prefer the old AM radio because it really gets you into the physical space that's above your head and all around you, and and it gives you a window into the bizarre, into the into the other realms.、Uh, there on your good old radio, you can you can hear、um, all these distant stations, and that's that's what's so cool about shortwave radio. Because you, those distances can be thousands of miles or, or clear across the globe, and so、um, AM radio is is like shortwave radio, and and during night、uh, when the ionosphere is not so bombarded by、um, sunlight, you can pick up、um, amazing amount of stations.、Um, you can pick up stuff on the East Coast. I, I do that quite quite regularly. And then if you have a storm coming in, you get what's called a skip, so the radio waves can move across the clouds, and、um, you can pick up stuff that's、uh, a long ways away, like it's right there. And, and then in between all this stuff, you know, in between stations, and that's why we call it that, is all this bizarre stuff. And, and you start、uh, hearing voices.、Um, Sometimes they're part of a radio station, or they're not part of a radio station, and it can be a pretty bizarre trip. I think when you when you get out of your daily task and your job, and, and focusing on nine to five realities, as I call it in our shows, and、um, when you get out of that, then the world, the complexities of the world expand, and you and the ability to look into alternate realities. As we call them, is is a lot.、Um, it's a lot clearer and, and crisp and, and available to you. And I think maybe that's a lot of times what I consider a vacation, which I take daily. <laughs> so I'm out of the city quite regularly and up into the the vast, wide open、uh, country. I like to call it.、Uh, my my. A lot of my friends call it Indian country. People still living in hogans, still living in ancient homes up on the mesas that are close to a thousand years old or older than that. These, the, if you go to Santa Fe, which is a beautiful、uh, New Mexico town, traditional they have a, a strict code、uh, building code system there. So you see these traditional、um, pueblo houses that are acquainted with the、um, with the Spanish culture that's、uh, been there since the early 1500s. Those are actually—they've been around for thousands of years. The pueblos.、Uh, if you go to the Rio Grande pueblos on the Rio Grande River, and I think there's 19 pueblos,、um, and most of those speak the,、uh, a derivative of the Tewa language,、uh, but some, like Zuni, have their own languages, which are isolates where I was just at, where that language is spoken nowhere else in the world except for there at that pueblo or place. Archaeologists and stuff. The Zuni's been here a long time, five thousand years or more, in basically the same place. Before that, migrating and moving around, and they have an isolate language that's all their own. It's not related to any other language, 
and it's felt that they're one of the oldest tribes here in the Southwest. And their origin myths and stories would agree with that. They just seem to know a lot about things other tribes don't, and especially about the, um, the mythologies of the landscape, the weather systems, um, and then Hopis and uh, Zunis have their origin places in the, in the depth of the Grand Canyon. And they come up out of these other um, worlds, or Hopis call them wombs. Uh, different realities, different historical epics. Uh, that's, they, they come from these previous worlds. Let's, uh, let's go to a song. Uh, a good... Uh, a good... Indian song, <laughs> a good Native American song. I listen. Uh, that's that's mostly what I listen to. My friends listen to it. I listen to it. It's really cool to pick up a uh, six sixty uh, AM radio on, uh, which is the Navajo, which is the voice of the Navajo Nation, which is a fifty thousand watt station. That's pretty strong. I guess the strongest AM radio. Goes <laughs> Katie and JR Jim, though Johnny Mike, will you in a caho at Gales, they be in a hagas to Nigaya? There's an elfande crush, Laya, double ask, Kirkonakisada, don't know what you can pick this up all over the United States, sometimes into Canada and Mexico, and it's it's a uh, it's pretty amazing if you can get past the, the uh, car advertisements, <laughs> and uh, um, and and this station has a lot of uh, a lot of different tribes have their own radio stations. The Hopis have a cool one, uh, Radio Guyi. Hola, habla Stephanie Hartka. Estás escuchando Kuyi 88.1 FM Hopi Radio. Radio Guyi. Guyi is a water. That's a cool one. I've actually picked that up on shortwave radio. Now, shortwave radio, if you, if you, if you play around with it and switch bands, you can pick up the AM mode because it works in that same range. And I picked up, and I talked about this before, um, the Hopi radio station, which is just marvelous, as is 660. 660, the Navajo reservation, has been around for a long time, and you get half Navajo and half English. And then you get all this traditional music, plus you get Western music, and, and then you even get some uh, rock and roll. But uh, the Hopi radio station is amazing because it's so off the wall. <laughs> And this is what I love about my native brothers and sisters. When you go out there and go to the reservation and you live there or you spend a lot of time there, it's its own world and its own reality. And it can be really off the wall, which I love. Uh, and so the nine to five reality, you know, people have jobs and they go to that stuff and they come into the Flagstaff here. Or, or if you're in New Mexico, you go into Santa Fe or Albuquerque, which is a large town, you, and you work there. But you're always going back. To the res, and when you get on the res, and the rules kind of like go out the window a lot of times. I mean, in terms of our you know white nine to five reality, and so I I, I love that about that. You have ceremonies going on, you have um, all kinds of wonderful things that move along with the seasonal systems, and uh, and 
beyond Dave, um, the, I think our transmitter is going oh. offline. Hold on here. Yeah, the, the, the monitors over here um, are, are, are dead. Yeah, right. Right over here. Can you, can you see that? Right. It doesn't seem to be pulling the proper voltage or something. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a technical... Or maybe uh, just oh. some kind of strange solar interference. Ooh, I think... Yeah. Can you, can you see that? Can you still... Uh, I think we're having Wait, some we uh, problems with... Relay system and right. going off. We went offline again. Shoot, okay. I know, but so, so what do you want me to do? So what? Huh? I mean, okay. we're on the air right now. I don't care. Look, just put a song on. <laughs> song on there and then we're coming back uh, I think we're back on the air I, I don't know uh, did you hear let's see they have Canyon of Fire this huge huge 
um, crack opened up in this in the sun because you know we're in, the, we're in a solar high right now. We're we're at the end of the of the eleven year cycle which of the solar high, and we're having some tremendous solar storms. The sun is extremely active now. Uh, there's all kinds of sunspots, which are these solar storms, and we had this huge one. Uh, these sunspots are are these uh, active ag magnetic storms on the surface of the sun are facing the planet Earth now. So we're getting barraged by, by this, having a spectacular sky phenomenon at night um, where you can see what we call the northern lights way down into the southern latitudes. And we're expecting some huge storms. I, I talked about this before. Um, we now know uh, beyond the Carrington event. Um, so the Carrington event of 1859 was a massive geomagnetic storm triggered by activity on the sun. So um, during a, a solar high. So you have these 11-year cycles. You, know, you have solar low cycles, and then you go into this 11-year cycle where the sun has a lot of geomagnetic storms. But the, the auroras, as, as they're called, the northern lights, were seen way down in, in, into Mexico. And even things were set on fire. You know, telegraph they had then, and... Uh, it was intense, and uh, that's something interesting to uh, read about. It's a Carrington event. That's that's some pretty crazy stuff happened. We now know uh, geologically that um, there were things uh, that make the Carrington event look like a walk in the park. There were solar storms that actually set forest on fire. Uh, so we can we have the ability to have the uh, tremendous solar storms that don't only just affect a radio but could affect the internet, which is our major uh, means of communication. And they're now saying could shut it off for a month or more. Can you imagine now if we had no internet? Uh, and that we're approaching a really extreme solar cycle like we haven't seen in a really long time. So anything is possible. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, there's, there's our nine to five. And I think that's the purpose of in, in between stations is to broaden and to have fun. Uh, I, what was our last broadcast? And this one's been going on <laughs> for a long time. I'm starting to get a little bit tired. But um, you, you know, we talk about UFOs and flying saucers and um, the, the whole myst mysterious event of that. You know, it's an ancient thing, too, with, with the tribes here. And, um, yeah, so... We've got to work with some stuff here at the station. What's that, Mur Murky? I thought we were going to play the song. Uh, uh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna go to a song here.
So back to reading the cards. You know, there's face cards and you play games with those. But cards come actually from the art of divination, which, which I guess when you look at it, oh, the broader term, it's, it's something that looks into the future. What's going to happen tomorrow or a day from tomorrow? You know, will there be an accident? Will something good happen? Will I win a million dollars? Um, will I meet a beautiful woman or, or a good-looking guy? Um, so, you know, and, and then there's the, the doomsday stuff, the crazy stuff. The, the, and, and that's when we, when we think, I think, traditionally of divination, we often think to that. Have you ever been to a tarot card reader? I've been to some, some really cheap <laughs> fake ones, uh, and those usually end up being a lot of money. And I've been to some, uh, some ones that really know the craft. I mean, I, and I go home after I've been to a tarot card ring. There's this beautiful, yeah, she's actually a gypsy. And then she would lay the, you know, she'd lay the cards out. And so when I have a reading, I try to go home and uh, write it down. That's another way of doing it. And uh, she, it was pretty interesting. You can use about anything. This has been done for tens of thousands of years. It's probably as old as, as humans are. Uh, and a lot of different religions have people that do this, uh, that are in the official calling. I think the Mormon church has what's called a patriarch. I don't know if you can call that divination. I guess it is to some degree. And there's different terms used for it. Uh, the, the tribes here have medicine people. Uh, they're mostly used in healing systems, but uh, they have divinators. Uh, the Diné people have... So before you go to a medicine ceremony, a medicine ceremony is basically to bring you back into balance, to, to make you healthy. That that stress and other things that are have terms, uh, spirits and entities, whatever you want to call them, negative and positive energy, the negative energy gets a little gets the best of you so you got to come back into balance and that's kind of what the medicine person does and deals with um, the energy flowing through the body uh, and deals with and they you know they tell you to clean up your life live better uh, be kinder and, you know like just about all religions are like that or even philosophies you know be good to your fellow man that's kind of what it is in these ceremonial systems that in these uh, different Rituals are done, you know, for the same reasons. So if you want to get away from the, the voodoo thing, uh, and voodoo is a cool religion that's a combination of Western Africa and um, New World practices, um, and that's that's an interesting thing. I don't know if that's as much divination as maybe necromancing. Uh, necromancing, I guess, is termed uh, where you actually communicate with the dead or spirit entities. These are our terms. <laughs> yeah, necromancing, that's an inter that's an interesting one. I don't know about all these terminologies. Um, people might look at them strictly or loosely. Um, but you're communicating with alternate realities. I like to say if you want to get into a quick, because typically in a, in a ceremonial season, especially the tribes, you fast and you pray and you abstain from different foods and you sacrifice something in your life to, to show the creator or the forces that be that you're open to cleaning yourself out and come bringing yourself back into balance. And so um, that's, let's see, uh, we're having a problem again with our station. Um, 
Did, should we, Murky, should we go to song? Right. Uh, okay, we're, we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to try to fix this problem. Um, we're going to go to a song.
So the depth psychologist, Carl Jung, I in previous broadcasts, and I think even earlier um, this evening, I uh, talked about uh, depth psychology deals with this, this term called the unconscious, that we have this mind underneath the surface of our rational mind, our nine-to-five reality mind, where a lot of things go on that we don't, we don't think about. We, we, we push it down. We, have, we, we need to focus on the task at hand. Uh, and so we push a lot of things down, or, or they're kind of secondary, third area, fourth area, fourth area. And the year of Ford, like in Huxley's brain world. Um, so, yeah, the, the unconscious is this place, uh, especially if you, you know, have pro, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, if you have an injury or something that's really bothering you, uh, some tragedy in your life or some event, some car accident, uh, a lot of that's down in what is termed the unconscious. And uh, Some people can say subconscious. That's kind of a, that's not the right term. That's more of a Freudian term, but the, I think what we use now is the unconscious. So it's this secondary, deeper, more expansive mind that often is uh, genetic, that you inherit, uh, and we know this now, you inherit capacities for memory. Even genocide uh, is, seems to be something that is hereditary to some degree. So memory, uh, although a lot of it is, deals with your culture and time period, what's going on right now, there's deeper memories th that deal with the past in your life, and maybe even the archaic past that connect into older systems. Well, you know, why do we get angry? Why do we get animal-like? Why do all these really violent things happen? And I always try to tag that on to the past, although I don't think the ancient past was as violent as it is now. And just because in terms of, of mass we weapons of destruction that we use, we can kill a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, case in point, Gaza and Israel, which are sort of, there's a ceasefire right now. Thank goodness. So, um, back to to uh, divination and necromancing and there are people that are set aside especially in tribal systems that have a lot of training sometimes 30 and 40 years of really serious training where you're that's your calling that's what you do um, if you're not paid with money then you're paid with rugs with with goods that you need with food um, but that's your job so that's and it's a little different than uh, being a medical doctor. And I've been trained in the medical profession. I'm, I'm not a doctor by any means. I was a medic in the Army for 10 years. Worked in a hospital environment, which I often talk about uh, a lot of that time in the, in the emergency room or the emergency department, as they call it now. So they're in... And, we, and listen, if you have, if you're, if there's a trauma and, and it's a life and death situation, you want to make sure you have the best available technology there. That the person overseeing the trauma knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, somebody's gonna, if they're gonna open up your head and operate on your brain, or if you have cancer or your heart's not working right, you want the best person available to do that. That's been to school and knows what they're doing. That's the same process with um, the medicine person. But the, the causative thing to the medicine person is this unseen world underneath the surface, that the disease and the thing that happens is, a, is affected by these energy systems underneath. This. I like to say it's, it's the, um, can you hear the train? 
Sometimes it feels like it's going to come through my window because I live next to the tracks. And uh, yeah, so the trains come through sometimes quite often in flex. I think every 15 minutes. I don't know what, so the, tr the I guess the train was, was here before, um, before the, the town itself almost. So the town's grown up with the, with the train, you know, with the trains coming through. And so the town's, so the railroad is now running right through the center of town, where it used to be on the outskirts. And it's kind of a, a big problem. But I, I guess it's kind of nostalgic, too, to some degree. Except where I live, the city pass ordinances now, where you have the trains can't use their actual horns. You have these fake recordings. <laughs> this speaker that comes out of a box on the railroad crossings, that's a digital recording. <laughs> Of, of of the train sound, you know, to warn uh, people that's going to the railroad crossing, hey, a train's coming. And it's not supposed to be as loud, but you can hear it just as well as the train. I would rather hear the train. I've grown up with trains. I've always been by tracks. I'm sure a lot of people have. And so, um, yeah, they're kind of like, did we talk about clocks, time dating, um, 24 uh time zones across the planet um, Zulu time as we call it in the army uh, Greenwich Mean Time so right now I think it's close to um, one o'clock one, one o'clock in the afternoon in the UK in, in, the, in Great Britain the British Isles so here it's um, <clears throat> 6.20 a.m. in the morning so you have the differences in time in these 24 time zones in fact um, Dates change. You know, everybody knows about the the dateline. We can we can travel now with our you know with our supersonic jets and things and be in another time zone, another time a day, quite quickly. You can lose an entire day if you travel uh, large distances, which I have, and I'm sure everybody has. So Zulu time is is good to have because you have a baseline time, and we use this on the shortwave radio a lot, and so it's a uh, Coordinative universal time, and I'm probably saying that out of order. They keep changing the official way you say it. But coordinative universal time that we use on the shortwave is Zulu time or Greenwich Mean Time. And that's kind of what, what, what you go by. And so 24 time zones, and the, you have this radio signal that's traveling across the globe. Uh, and if it's a powerful enough radio station, uh, and also the... Uh, the events in the ionosphere are running good. It's a, I mean, the seasons have an effect on that. The how much, how long the daylight is, how how, how long the night is. You know, here in the winter time in the, in the northern latitudes, we're having a lot longer nights now, and it doesn't stay irritatingly sometimes. Does it? Especially if you're well, I hike at night too and run at night, but. Uh, in the winter time, you you wish there was a little more daylight. The, the days don't last that. The sun's not up that long, and so it gets pretty cold because the Earth doesn't warm up. But if you're communicating with people across the planet, and I like the analog thing, I'm really sick of digital because you know you just you just turn on the um, the podcast, and this does this is a podcast because if you can't pick up our radio station on 37, 31 kilohertz in the 80 meter band, um, then um, you're going to get us on podcast. And I like to I like to remind people this is a live broadcast, uh, and if you can hear it live, it's it's more interesting. And like to, today, we keep 
um, losing our signal. We're having problems. We're going to have to, after this show, we're going to have to go up and get on the roof and, and look at my antenna and my attachments and see if I have some problems. I, I have done because we've had some really high winds, but things are pretty stationary up there, but I still have to periodically check that. So I, I like to liken radio to, to divination, to necromancy. So you have this uh, station uh, or sound. There's a lot of really bizarre sounds, beacons, uh, inter interference um, between radio stations, jamming stations, which really are used uh, a lot during the war. The war in Ukraine and Russia and the one in Israel and uh, Gaza. There's a lot of jamming going on radio frequencies. Uh, even the internet um, can do that. So, but it takes a real, uh, it's, it's a discipline, maybe even an art form, to, to be able to hear the station that you're getting that may be halfway around the globe. Um, there's, sometimes there could be as many as five or six, even sometimes a hundred different stations going, and teaching yourself how to, um, to listen and to pick up that, the frequency you want to hear. Um, and they have these uh, waterfall uh, meters now that are this, vis this beautiful visual fill of color that tells you, um, here comes another train. <laughs> They're really coming through tonight. We're picking them up. Um, but e each sound has a signature and you can see it visually uh, on the screen now. And it's just beautiful. These, these waterfall meters, and everybody with a, a good shortwave radio now has a waterfall meter because it's not something you're just listening to, but you can actually see it. I, I can turn off the sound and find stations by just looking at the waterfall meter. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's, it's something I would suggest that you get on your shortwave radio. Uh, um, you can put, even put them on AM radios now. But if you're, if you're listening, it's nice to see the signal visually. And you can go clear across the, um, the, the meter band you're on, 80, 40, 60. Uh, and you can move quickly, uh, if you want to, just a, with the waterfall meter, just by looking at that. And then you can, you know, listen, turn your sound back up or put your earphones on and, and pick that up. So wh where is that? If you can't, if you can't, it's, and that's what I like to say, uh, wh where does your digital sound come from? I mean, we're so used to having screens interpreting the, the unseen, uh, and that's, you know, it's like I used to, my mom and we'd watch old 1930, 1940 movies together. When I was a little kid, I, I, I thought everything was inside the TV, the little world, the people, uh, everything was in the television set. And then my mom would try to explain to me that it was a TV signal coming from a distant transmitting station. And, not, and, and the people weren't even in the TV station. They were, uh, they were you know, playing the film. And, and so it's, it's, it's really this strange philosophical problem of um, what's there? What, what are you filtering reality through? Um, and it, your culture, your religion, your belief system, your, your politics, your, your, your degree in school, your specialization, uh, your obsession, um, your perversion, your addiction, uh, what you're filtering your reality or, or you, you know, the, your job you're at. You have to focus on your task. That's your reality. And it can, it can really anchor us down or tie us down to the degree that life becomes really un, unpleasant. Um, so, and I think that's really strange. You, you watch an old 1940s movie uh, and you can see the people breathing, their eyes blinking, they're having dialogue. And those people in that movie are all dead. 
where are they? I mean, where where is the life force? Is it on the film? How did how did the film pick that up? How does it store that that life force on there? You know, when I went with my young youngest son, who's nineteen now, we went to a movie theater, and we, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a Disney movie, and he's just little. He's like four. And so we're all, you know, the movie keys up after all the stupid ads you have before the movie. <laughs> you know, finally the movie's playing. I, was, I don't know if I was excited for a Disney movie, but he was. And so it starts playing, and then he suddenly turns around, turns from the big screen and looks back, and, and, and then he points up to the projector going, you know, out of the wall and said, and, and, and then says to me, Hey Dad, that's where all the, the that's where the movie is. That's where the little people live is up is up in the you know the projection booth because you can see the light coming out of there. And then so starts the same thing. You know, when I was a boy, I said to my mom, "Where are those people?" I mean, I think we take for granted the technology. I mean, the screen on your cell phone, the screen that you're looking at, uh, these are interpreting the signal giving you a visual aid or in shortwave radio the audio on your radio as you're tuning the radio dial brings in the station that distant station and there may be a lot of static and i think and that's the whole term of in between stations radio is what what's in between uh these points of reality uh, and if you've ever been on the open ocean and my grandfather was a salmon fisherman that's another strange Thing, even if you're used to it, you're out in the middle of nowhere in these big, huge swells. These aren't even waves, these are just swells that are 30 and 40, 50, 100 feet high. You go up the swell and down, and you do this all day long as you fish in that gray water. You know, hey, hey, Grandpa, how deep is it, is it here? You know, and he'd use phantoms, you know, and, and that's the way you'd measure depth. And then by the time he got, got around to understanding, it's, it's thousands of feet deep. This liquid is moving, and you're going up and down, rolling it up these swells and down, which can kind of make you sick. And these big storms roll in. And you get this real feel for wilderness like nowhere else. And if, you, and if you've been in a, in a storm at sea, and I have been in a few, I've been in a really bad one. It's nice to have a person. My grandfather was an amazing man. He was an engineer before he started fishing, salmon fishing. Uh, that's, he kind of did it as, as a sport, uh, but he was good at it. He was probably the best person in the community. The commercial fisherman actually relied on my grandfather a lot of the time. He just had this incredible rationality. So we're in this horrible, chaotic storm. About, oh, I think we're about five miles off the coast. And this is when the St. George Reef in Crescent City was actually had uh, lighthouse people in it. Now it's uh, it's remote, and it just goes because this is a this this uh, lighthouse has some serious storms, and people have been killed and come up missing there. And being a lighthouse keeper on this this rock that sets off Crescent City, uh, in the you know in this really in the oceans there, uh, especially in the winter time, are just horrible. On, on the uh, west coast up in Oregon. Uh, it can be just awful. But this is during the summer and we got, we got trapped in this storm and it was just awful. And my grandfather, through his navigational skills, uh, radio skills, uh, really came through this storm. It actually sunk a couple of commercial boats. That's how bad it was. And it was a 
amazing to see my grandfather's ability to navigate and I, and, and through this storm, most of it visually. He just had a sense of things. And, and we were one of the few people that made it back safely. Uh, a lot of boats stayed uh, in the harbor and didn't go out that day. And uh, of course, my grandfather <laughs> was more concerned about catching these big Chinook salmons and silvers. He'd follow them and he kind of knew their, um, where they would be. And so, uh, and so we, we got back. So it's nice to have someone like that. And I, and I think, I think we would get in the safe place and um, we, we think that's how life is all the time. And when it's not like that and something disturbing happens and pulls us out of the safety environment, which can be, as we say, mundane and boring, um, the, this, this event happens and sort of reminds us if someone dies, uh, if someone gets hurt or, or you're in a car accident, these events happen that, that really change, can change our life and things are suddenly not mundane and you wish they were. That's how it is in a war. You go from, uh, you know, you hear the, the distant bombs going off, you know, we got on the tarmac when it first came uh, to the Middle East during this war I was in. Our, our whole um, hospital unit sat on the tarmac of the airport, the C-130s had brought our, our unit in, and the bombs were going, it was nighttime, and the bombs were going off in the distance and you could see these flashes of light and feel the earth tremble and hear these muffled bombs going off and, and, and jet planes up there. But it's in the distance and, and, and you kind of know that's why you're here, that you're, you're going to be in that. And, and, but you're still safe, but you feel you know, your heart rate's high and, and, and you're, you're tense and, and you know that's where you're going. That, that the storm out there, the violence and the chaos, you know, a lot of times it happens unexpectedly in that kind of environment. And, uh, but when it does happen, then you're in it. And you wish sometimes you, you, you didn't. Here's the trains to, to, to remind us that, <laughs> that we have this sort of clockwork universe, right? Supposedly that's punctual and whatever. So, um, oh, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to go to a song again. We're having more technical problems, I, I guess. Is that right, Murky? Yep. Um, oh, I think uh, we might uh, be uh, able uh, to fix it this time. What? Fix it this time. Yeah, okay. Now I I don't know I'm I'm just I'm confused. Do you believe in giving people second chances?
So the medicine person, or on the other hand, the professional doctor, is the person that rationally, and, and because of their skill levels, and they've been doing this a long time, can navigate you through uh, this 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 chaotic moment, or this or, where you're sick, or or they can navigate you through the strains, through through the the trauma, um, and and hopefully bring you into safety. And uh, and then the medicine person deals with the unseen, with with this. You know, we have the, the physical people and the people that aren't physical, the materialists and the non-materialists. And the debate in the middle of that is what is consciousness? How do you, what does that mean when you're conscious? And what, can you see consciousness or, or are you seeing the reactions of what it does? And, and so when a person dies and they're sitting there, they're dead, especially in a trauma, it's like, what happened? The body's there. Everything looks normal, but they're not there anymore. And so something is not there are they is it, is it was it just a physical life or was there something inside of that individual that made them alive and that force of energy that makes you alive the soul or whatever you want to call it that's what the medicine person that's the world they deal with and and, and listen like i like to say with the quantum world and, and atoms and protons and neutrons that that was all unseen that was considered you know the gray area and then you get people like Niels Bohr's and these different people that that had the math and they said hey this place this is really here and then you know today it's like we actually have pictures of atomic structures we actually uh, know it's there for real but at one time it was kind of a gray area it was kind of like guessing it was non-material so we don't know, I mean, the lines between what's material and what's non-material are pretty damn thin. And they have been for tens of thousands of years. And the medicine per person, uh, the healer, the prophet, the patriarch, deal with that world. And so I want to, the, the story I'm going to give you, I went to a, a palm reader, not a, you know, there's different ways to do this, you can do it with with rocks, with bones. Uh, where I grew up in, in U northern Utah, there were people that did it with tea leaves. Women, my own mother was uh, was a sort of Celtic healer, and she had the gift of seeing into the future. And so people would come come to our house, mostly women, and she did these these interesting sessions with them that were based a lot on her dreams and looking into things. She didn't use cards; she used her dreams and visions. Uh, but there were women in the community that used um, tea leaves. So, uh, and, and the depth psychologist Carl Jung, this is why I like him, because Jung was this amazing scientific person that, you know, in an earlier time period, that used a lot of rationality, and he was good at it, and he succeeded at it. But he also worked in the gray area. He also worked in necromancing, and he also worked in... Um, divination and, and he said these things are products of a deeper self of, of a deeper more ancient part of you that's connected to nature that's connected to 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 weather phenomenon that's connected to magnetic energy that's connected to these ancient stories that there's a part of you a collective part of you that you and not only do you inherit it from the distant past you know with your DNA and stuff but you're affected by it even it's underneath the surface of your everyday reality and it's much broader 
and it's much deeper. So I paid, I think at the time, $25. And this beautiful woman, I mean, she could have been a gypsy. I think she's actually Latino from Mexico. And she just was highly intelligent, very pleasant to look at. And I think I had a choice between tarot cards, and I think she actually had corn seed. And this is what they use down in Mexico and have them the Mayans and Aztecans, putting aside the, and I've talked about the codices, the pre-Columbian codices, that are these pictorial, these amazing pictorial manuscripts that are um, painted on deer hide. Uh, and, and you can turn the pages, they're beautiful. These are divination uh, devices, some of them. And they're used in these, these great time ceremonies. There's two. There's the long calendar in the Mayan and Aztecan system, and there's the short one. And we can talk more about that sometime. But these amazing uh, pre-Columbian codices, there's not a lot left because most were destroyed, were used in the divination process. And, um, right, so that, it's very ancient. It's been around a long, long time. A lot of these uh, petroglyphs would call them, these writings on the walls and stuff, those are, some of those are divination devices. There are doorways into the other world. Some of these bricked up doorways, like in Chaco Canyon, are bricked up for a reason. They're passageways, they're ways to travel through time and reality. We can talk about that another time. So I'm sitting in this uh, beautiful place. She doesn't have too many weird things. I think there were some Aztec and Amayan things, uh, some deities. Um, she had some Celtic stuff on the wall. She had a lot of flowers and plants, had a beautiful little table. And she was a very caring person. And the minute you sat down with her, I knew this person's not fake. I had I'd taken uh, my wedding ring off, uh, you know, and went in there and didn't really give her, I didn't give her any information. And so she, I gave her my left hand and she started to read it. And, uh, and of course, even though I'm thinking this, this person knows something, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. And we go through this reading, it lasted about an hour. I think now these sessions cost 50 maybe $100, $200, but this is only $25. And so when I got home after this was over, and, you know, I felt, I felt like something happened there. It was, it was nighttime in her little place that she had. There was, there was this feeling she was looking into things. And I'd been to other, I'd been to a lot of fake ones. But there was something about this one that was unusual. So I went home and I wrote down stuff in my, my notebook. I tried to remember everything she told me. And one of the things I remember, among many other things that did come true, I'd say 95% of what she told me came true over the next 10 years. She told me about this, this, this woman I meet, this younger woman. She was younger than me. I explained her, um, her dark hair, her dark eyes, that she had a Middle Eastern connection. Um, and she was very pretty, highly intelligent, troubled, um, and that I would fall in love with this person. And she described her in a way that's uh, just, it was so detailed when I wrote it down. And, and I was married at the time. You know, I'd been married for a long time, so I was like, am I going to have an affair? Because I don't want to have an affair. I, I, I was a pretty f faithful husband. Um, but I wrote it down. And I think 
it was about five years later and you know my my long my marriage was over 20 years relationship was 23 years something that's a long time um came to an end so i'm living by myself and um yeah i this, i met tiva and and tiva fit the exact details of her predictions of her uh divination uh, unbelievable i mean i can go back and read that and go i, I how does she know that how, how did she know that how did she know i would meet that person and she described her was it intuitive was she a good guesser i mean she described i think she even mentioned her first name had a t on it so it's just it was really crazy stuff and i fell in love with her and she mentioned that there would be a tragedy and of course there was you know if you are my listening audience you know that um, it's been a little over a year since I lost Tiva since she died tragically um, yeah and she mentioned these things so how does that how do you deal with that rationally there's been uh, uh, several books written one of the best ones that you'll ever read is is by a scientist an engineer like my grandfather was a very rational person and this is in the early days uh when when uh the theory of relativity had just come out and just attacked the world because that it was all about this unseen world uh about time displacement about um photons about what were they even photons and about how uh time changes as speed increases uh so i i think an experiment with time is this book by he was a lot of things a british soldier an aeronautical engineer um, a philosopher but he was most famous because of his aeronautical uh, aeronautical engineering skills uh and he helped uh modify the modern airplane and he's quite famous for that but this very rational man this scientist had amazing dreams and what he began to realize is there are precognitive dreams so he seen he would re, he would see future events in his dream and then he would write them in his dreams and then he would write them down and they if you read this book he he uh puts this stuff down in detail and he wants and it sort of messes up this very rational life that he has as, a, as an early scientist but he knows about einstein's theory of relativity and this is turning the world upside down the modern world because you know ancient people have known about this time travel have known about this other realm um for thousands tens of thousands of years but modern people forgot so mathematical wise einstein proves the you know this 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 world of the small of the protons of neutrons uh, of of atoms of the speed of of light and 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 it really takes the modern world the scientific world and just turns it upside down and so jw dunn was aware of that and he come up with this term i'm trying to remember in the book um serialism and it's about how i think the 
the first part of the book is cog cognitive dreams that he speaks of his own dreams in, in extreme detail and, and shows that he did see into the future and this is kind of hard for a scientist to tell <laughs> because he, he's a mathematician and he, so he's going to try to use math to sort of prove in the theory of relativity that there's this other world and as it turns out later on in his life we find out that he he communicates with supposedly in his dreams with people that are dead they're deceased and his family and friends and that they come to him in dreams and he has to this is like Jung. This is why Carl Jung was so gray area, because Carl Jung had these amazing visions and dreams. And his rational, school-trained world didn't explain that. And for a man that's extremely rational, and to some degree was a mathematician, a very successful student uh, there in Switzerland, it was hard for Jung to deal with. But he had family traditions through his mother of dreams and visions and these sort of interesting events that were non-material, as we call them. Because, you know, there are these uh, peculiar faculties of the psyche that it isn't entirely confined to, to space and time. You can have dreams or visions of the future. You can see round corners and such things. Only ignorance deny these, uh, these facts. These are, it's quite evident that they do exist and have existed always. Now, these facts be, show that the psyche, in part at least, is not dependent upon these confinements. And then what? When the psyche is not under that obligation to live in time and space alone, and obviously it doesn't, then, in, uh, to that extent, the psyche is not submitted to those laws. And uh, that means uh, a practical uh, um, in, uh, continuation of life, of a sort of psychical existence uh, beyond time and space. So that's a little 1959 clip of Carl Jung, the depth psychologist Carl Jung. Uh, not only talking about dreams and visions and that they're beyond sometimes rationality and materialism, but the life of the soul, of this inner force that's beyond the material world, that it, it goes on, that we have this, and, he, and he's, he's speaking, uh, it's, it's a longer interview about death, and that what, what is death, and, he's, and he speaks about that there's so much that we don't know, and that this there's this inner force inside of us, and often referred to uh, partly as our unconscious, that there's this deeper mind that realizes things, that senses things, that actually causes reality to be made. That how you think and how you act, there's this, there's this chief, chief force underneath everything else that's pushing things, causing them to happen, and that it goes on after the death of the body. Let's get it on with the materialist. How are you going to prove all that stuff? So, An Experiment with Time is a pretty amazing book. Uh, and it gets a little complex because he's trying to mathematically <laughs> prove the, the spirit world, this other alternate reality. My thing is, if you want really quick 
proof and get away. You know, because in these ceremonies and stuff that tribes have, um, you can spend an entire year preparing for those events, fasting and praying, abstaining from uh, sex, uh, only eating certain foods or no food at all, and, and isolating yourself and meditating. If you want to do it quick, and it's not always pleasant, then I'll give you a really powerful hallucinogenic like ayahuasca or yopo. You drink ayahuasca mostly, and then you insulfite or blow the powder, yopo, and other powerful hallucinogenics up your nose. Or you can chew mush hallucinogenic mushrooms, which the Mexican people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. That's these, these uh, pre-clumbing codices deals with uh, hallucinogenics. So it can, it can really take you quickly into this other realm. Uh, and so I like, to, I like to take a real rational person and say, okay, drink the ayahuasca, and then let's talk about the other world, because this profoundly changed you. The thing about th that sort of experience um, is it's not pleasant, uh, especially with these really powerful hallucinogenics these Amazonian hallucinogenics and these, uh, even to some degree, the ones in Mexico and, and peyote, peyote and mushrooms and uh, an LSD morning glory derivative are extremely powerful. So they're sort of the analogs um, of the South American stuff. But when you take these, especially the South American derivatives like ayahuasca, the initial experiences are very unpleasant. You're going to have to go through this wall of unpleasantry, especially physically, vomiting, nausea, severe nausea, and and then just complete, utter, insane, I like to say, opening of this other realm. And, and when you're in it, you can't get out of it. You can't say, hey, I, I, I don't want to do this. Uh, I'm done. You know, raise your hand. <laughs> in the ayahuasca event and say, uh, by the way, I don't want to do this. Uh, uh, no. You're in that for the next several hours, or with Yopo, an hour or so. And this, these radical experiences happen, and I've said this often, that are more real than, than the reality we live in, the 9 to 5 reality. They are mind blowers. And that, so you can do it quickly with that. Or when you go to sleep at night, if you remember your dreams, you go into that other realm. So anyway, we're, <laughs> we're coming to the end of this hour and a long series of hours that's going on for a whole show tonight. Um, and um, so we're going we're gonna to end this and pick it up uh, tomorrow night uh, and, and talk more about this. So it's something to think about. And I don't think it's that unscientific, to be honest with you. I think, I think, I think, as we learn more and we we start to understand how vast and how much we don't know. The more we learn, the less we know. And there's always room for the alternate realities. <clears throat> In fact, it could be argued that this is an alternate reality. This has all been set up. The United States of America. And is, it, is its own culture, is its own country, and it has its own laws. And that's what you grow up in. That's the system you're in, and that's, that's habitual. That's what you're used to. But that doesn't mean it's that way for everybody else. In fact, we know it's not. And so, in some ways, it's quite laughable when you get outside of it and you look at the obsessions. 
that you look at the special kind of capitalism that Americans have. It's not that capitalism's evil. It's not that communism's evil. You know, the way Marx put it down, it's a fairly ideal system. But it's the way people use it to take over other people's lives and uh, make you into a sort of automation. And then we have, you know, one of the quantum theories is the and this is be, becoming quite popular in, in our movies now, is the alternate realities. That there's all these variations on reality. And you know, this could be proven mathematically. Um, that the quantum scientist, uh, Hugh Everett, now his, his theories are becoming accepted of a multi-universe, of a multi, of multi-alternate realities. That there's just, they're endless. And that one of the big problems uh, with false memory, um, false memories both collectively and individually, um, it, these generated, you know, collective ones. There's just uh, what is it called um, the Mandela effect that the present, you know, the previous old president of apartheid, um, that that Nelson Mandela of South South Africa died in prison. That. Uh, and a lot of people believe that, and a lot of collectively, and it's absolutely not even true. I mean, he lived to be old and served a term as a president of South Africa, uh, and but it's 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 sort of this false memory that's generated collectively. You know, I run into this constantly with wolves and coyotes, um, and their behaviors. They have bloodlust and they kill. Um, uncontrollably and they eat cats and I mean some of it's true but a lot of it's just it's total hogwash and if you're with these animals and 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 you know their behaviors and you're around them a lot you see that there's just all this stuff that's not true and I, I think on a deeper level when you have uh, child abuse and you have um, something that's post-traumatic stress disorder from an event that may have never even happened. So why why are false memories generated? And, and this article looked at that uh, and how we have this kind of um, collective mind that's influenced not only by edited material in the news. If you see something on a video, um, if you read something, then that makes it true. Or if your friend tells you something. Or somebody may generate a whole story about something that didn't happen. On the other hand, there are things that really do happen. Uh, and and they're totally true. And um, they're not, they're so unbelievably insane that you can't believe it happened. I think there's this new book out called <laughs> this guy, I shouldn't be laughing. So there's this connection between Jesus and God and flying saucers. And this, uh, fairly rational person, I, I can't remember, I'll have to go back, it's a big book now, that this flying saucer landed on a beach or something and changed his entire life and connected him to God. And, um, but, you know, flying saucers, as I said in the previous broadcast, uh, alien abductions have been going on for tens of thousands of years. It's nothing new. It's how these deities contact us. It's how we open our minds up. So, and one of the views of the false memory syndrome is alternate realities, is all these other worlds. You know, the Hugh Everett thing, the, the, the quantum world thing, is there's 
all for every thought for every idea uh, there's a different world manufactured it's very complex and a little mind-blowing I haven't seen the Marvel movie with Doctor Strange who I'm a huge fan of in the Marvel comic book world of the 70s I haven't read any new stuff so I know that Doctor Strange I know he dealt with alternate realities but I guess this this movie it's a couple years old now deals with different ideas and different choices made form different realities and that's a mathematical uh, probability that looks pretty realistic so that there's not just one of you but there may be thousands of you depending on choices and different realities that you live in and that's a little hard to deal with but it seems to be like the quantum world was way you know back in the middle of I guess the Greeks there was, but now that we know it's real, that they're, they're actually there. I think the Greeks and the Egyptians were the first per people, supposedly, that manufactured the world of the infinitely small. I mean, people have known about this. I think the word atomic goes back to, to ancient Greece. Um, but we know these these are real, and it, and it may be that this this science of alternate realities of alternate worlds the mini worlds theory by by Hugh Everett is completely real how are we going to deal with that I mean it's hard enough dealing with the world we live in right now the complexities of other cultures other mindsets and how we're the Western view is invading all that with its with its news with its propaganda or you can look at it from the other direction so if if there are all these multi-worlds, and I think that I encounter that myself in dreams, and this book, um, An Experiment in Time by an aeronautical engineer, uh, which was massively popular at one time, um, deals with that whole premise. Um, so, how did that person know about Tiva 10 years before I met her? And what's you know that's very how did how did the that fortune teller um, how did she know and, and these great medicine ceremonies that the um, Diné people have these nine day events uh, these these ceremonies that the Pueblo people have that I've been to many of them those seem to radically be outside of the set time you know the, the time zone that us outsiders that us uh, modern people will set up they seem to shatter the whole event of reality and time. They have their own timekeeping systems. They have their own view of reality. And look, we filter these views we have, especially in modern society in the Western world, through what we've been taught, what we're familiar with. But when you get outside of that, or you go to a war, or it's a serious automobile accident, or you have a powerful dream, it can really change you. So, in between stations radio. All right. The sun's coming up, the stars are fading, and the 9 to 5 reality is starting to take over, and I'm tired, and <laughs> we're going to sign off the air, right, Murky? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I love you, too. Um, <laughs> All right, so this is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band. We're going to play a song, as we always do, and then sign off the air, and we'll see you tomorrow night. I guess we're going to do a broadcast starting about midnight. All right. See you. Bye.
This is In Between Stations Radio.